coming up on Real Life Leadership with Tracy Spears. I always felt so unsafe in mm -hmm. a relationship that, um, you know, the minute somebody didn't pass the test, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Know, like, There's a, uh, when you get, I mean, the language I would use that Rosemary was really good at giving grace. Mm. Totally. And there's a, a story I read one time about um, this person happened to be married to someone with a mental illness. Mm. And a very bad I'm not mind. drawing a straight line to that, no. just so you know. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole different thing. But it, it's a really good, uh, makes a similar point. And people would ask her, I mean, this, this guy would go off the rails and mm. do really awful stuff. And she stayed, and she stayed, and she stayed. And people asked her why. And she said, because I've chosen to love his core. Mm. Because when he was good, he was really wonderful. Wow. And so I th it was such a lesson for me that I've carried forward in my life. Sure. Because Rosemary was choosing to love your core when yeah. you were at your worst. Yeah. And you did the same for her. Yeah. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Real Life Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Spears, author, speaker, advocate, and someone who loves to hear inspiring, extraordinary stories from everyday people. I'm fortunate that I get to meet so many different people and I'm super excited to introduce you to one of them now. Hi, my name is Tracy Spears and I'm super excited to introduce you to Joanne Huber today. And I'm <laughs> super excited for lots of reasons. One is that, you know, I'm so happy to see you. But when I started- it's good. I know, it is, it's always good. When, when I started thinking about doing a podcast and talking to incredibly interesting people, you were at the absolute top of the list. Oh. I know, right? But you are because I've learned so much from you, right? So, you know, when I think about all the, you know, pearls and the wisdom and, uh, you know, the things that you've imparted on me that I use now in my personal life and mm -hmm. in business, um, that's, that lends to all of that. So I should probably just be uh, transparent here. You and I know each other. Uh, um, from a, we spent a lot of time together. <laughs> How do I say that? That's appropriate. What's appropriate? What could I? Well, <clears throat> we spent a lot of time together because I first met you when I was a therapist, working right. as a therapist, okay. and you did some incredibly hard, good work. Well, thank you. And put a lot of energy into the work, and and I'm good at making people mad, and I know I made you mad sometimes. Yeah, for but sure. You kept coming back and doing the work, well, and that's why we can be here today. Well, thank you. Um, said differently, I was just a train wreck. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I know it, and I'm sure some people go, and still is, but that whole relationship thing, um, I struggled with intensely for a while. Forming um, relationships. Totally, yeah. yeah. No, I okay. could form them. I couldn't either get out of them, or I couldn't, <laughs> or couldn't, couldn't them. stay with them. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So, so, anyway, so, you know, when all that was going on, um, it was interesting I did keep going back because I felt hopeful that, okay, you know, if, if I just know better, you do better, I guess that's my Angela, uh -huh. but, um, and every time I went, I was like, oh, I learned a little bit more and a little bit more, so mm -hmm. anyway, so I, that's what I want a little bit of our talk to be about, okay. some of those things that I learned and, um, you know, had used, and also really whatever's on your mind, because I know whatever you want to talk about is going to be something I'm going to be interested in anyway, so, so let's talk a little bit about that piece. like. If I look back on, you know, all of the outcomes from our time, I, and I mentioned it, so better relationships, but also in my business, like I was blown away how many of those skills when I went in, you know, talk about relationships, transferred into my business. Absolutely. Is, is that normal? Yeah. 
Okay. Skills are skills. Yeah. And yeah. so we function best if we can use our skills in every part of our lives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we uh, don't use what we could call the softer skills at work. Right. And then if we get too patterned into that, we come home and don't use the soft skills at home. Yeah. Because we get out of practice. Yeah. And so practice, practice, practice on all the skills. Well, I had a lot of practice. I, one of the first things uh, I just remember you doing is, you know, talking about, uh, I had to go to <coughs> Al-Anon. I was seeing somebody that was uh, in the other program. And so... You said, well, you know, do that, go to Al-Anon. And I was like, why, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. You were like, just go six times and, you know, don't come back until you go six times. And I was like, that's, that's an assignment. I'm not, I'll never see you again, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I went the first time and I was like, I don't get it. And I went the second time and I was like, I don't get it. Uh -huh. And then literally something weird happened in the fifth or sixth time. And what happened for me in that was, oh, I've spent so much time thinking of, other people and what they did or didn't do right in the relationship and then I realized the biggest lesson was it was a you know it was me right it was it was how I was reacting and uh -huh. responding to all of that and that was really the beginning of when I went oh my gosh I've got so much to learn and mm -hmm. and I don't think I'm unique in that no um, not at all what what gets people to therapy by the way what what is the thing pain yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. discomfort it doesn't have to be doubled over pain but some kind of discomfort yeah. where we say you know I don't like what's going on right now and I want to I want something different. Yeah. And you might not know it's you that has to be different. Yeah. But you sort it out. Well, I was in uh, a lot of that discomfort for so long because I kept thinking it was the other person's fault. And then, uh, you know, when I realized, gosh, I, my reaction, all those things, some of the tools that you gave me, that's what I want to talk about. Like, I remember one story. I don't know if you're going to remember this, but... Uh, I came in completely wrung out. You know, you already know what story I want to tell. Oh. The, it's, a, it's the crouton story. Oh, the okay. crouton you remember story, the crouton yes. story? <laughs> so I came in wrung out about, you know, I was having lunch with somebody and they uh, were, we were having salad and she literally took the croutons out of her salad with dressing and everything, put them on the table. And I was like, who does that? Who would do that? And you did exactly what you're doing now. You were like, you go, what is wrong? You're like, well, why are you so, you know, that's not about you. And that was when I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I thought everything that happened was a reflection on me or was about me. Mm -hmm. or I was connected to yeah. all of that. And that was the beginning of kind of that, you know, you, you know, it's not, a, and you actually said, you know, you're not that important. That's what I remember <laughs> you saying. Uh, most things aren't about you, Tracy. Yeah. And I needed to hear that totally. Yeah. Right, and it comes from that. Uh, yeah, you needed to hear that at that time, and we also knew each other well enough that I could get away with saying that so bluntly. Yeah. But it's that "what will people think?" Yeah. business, yeah. and doesn't matter what people think. Yeah, you know? you, that was the, you said that was one of the things I wrote down. Um, what p other people think of you is none of your business. Yeah, yeah. It, do a lot of people. So that's got to be one of the things that I would guess universally when people come in is they're so worried about fitting in or do you, is that true that what, what a lot the, of people are worried about that yeah. um, we uh, I think in about middle school we look we start comparing our insides with everybody else's outsides mm. oh they look like they have it all together and I'm a mess mm. I'm mm. a train wreck and some people don't seem to outgrow that well yeah and so they worry a lot about what other people think and it's doesn't matter yeah it, unless we're being total jerks all the time. Yeah. And then right. they can give us feedback. But just generally in our lives, other people aren't focused on us. They're focused on themselves. 
well, how do you how do you create that sense of self in a way that is not subject to, you know, comparing it to everyone else? You know, Jill Donovan from uh, mm -hmm. Rustic Hub. Uh -huh. I saw her speak recently, and she said, "Don't compare your chapter one to somebody's chapter 20. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a great. It is a great way phrase. To say that. I've not heard that, but mm -hmm. it certainly is. Yeah, because everybody's in process, mm -hmm. and everybody uh, is learning on whether they want to or not. Yeah. I mean, some people tend to stay stuck because they're afraid or whatever. But we're, um, well, we're all growing and learning, I hope. Yeah. I mean, I would never want to stop. Yeah. And then there's, there's a, it's easy to get kind of harsh towards some people if they're not where we want them to be or think they should be. Mm. But in, I think it's from Buddhism. They talk about not being right or wrong or good or bad, but is it ripe or unripe? Mm. Like if a piece of fruit is not yet ripened, we don't call it a bad piece of fruit. Hmm. We just say it's still ripening. I like that. And so we're all still ripening. So I'm a green banana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that would have been helpful back in the day, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when you think of somebody as a work in progress, mm -hmm. it changes uh, everything because... You know, I, I think that people, me, I have a tendency to, like, I want to go, it's good or bad or right or wrong, and, it's, mm -hmm. and to, you know, be able to see somebody in that middle state and not label them, you know, mm -hmm. with something, but to go, well, you know what, that's just where they are right now. That's mm -hmm. got to be, make your life easier. Sure. And we all try to make things so concrete, and there's a lot of fluid. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can sort of be uh, in progress in one area and making a, uh, being pretty good in another area. And so we just flow, and yeah. we, but we tend to see things in a dualistic way. Well, you just described my life in the sense that I had this, uh, and been so fortunate in business, and you know, not saying I ha don't have a ton to learn, I do, <laughs> but had a, have had a very successful business life, while at the same time, the other part of my life, I just couldn't get, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, I felt like I was on three a three-legged, you know, stool most mm -hmm. of the time, you know, trying to get it figured out. So, so then, how, when you got your personal life more in order, how did that change your business life? Uh, it's so. That's a very good question. It changed it in that the the my self-esteem and everything I did was around accomplishing things mm -hmm. and being settled now in my personal life. The things that I view as accomplishments are way more satisfying, right? Like mm -hmm. they're more um, being able to be still or being able to be present or, be, right? Like I'm not, mm -hmm. I was raised in a very performance-based mm -hmm. environment right. that if I did well, so my dad was my softball coach, I knew very early on, you know, like fifth grade, if I was going to go to college, I was going to have to, you know, play softball or literally sitting Mm -hmm. in, I grew up in a trailer. I'm literally sitting yeah. in a trailer. My parents are, you know, talking, and my dad says, "Well, if you want to go to college, you're going to have to get a softball scholarship, and uh, not an academic scholarship. Or I don't know why, but uh, mm -hmm. or basketball, or which you certainly could have. Well, thank you. Academically. So thank you. I appreciate it. So I knew that very early on, I had to perform, and then I had a creepy coach in high school. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, super creepy, and so for me to get the, you know. Uh, adoration, if you will, if I performed well, then, mm -hmm. you know, it was a guarantee. But if I didn't, you know, it wasn't going to go. So I was raised in that and I kept duplicating that in my relationships. Like the more I could do, and the better. And at your work. Be. For sure. Because I, my sense is, correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is even at work, before you get really settled, you would have these successes 
but never allow yourself to really enjoy them. You'd be on to go to the next event. Totally. And so you didn't get to enjoy yep. the progress you were making and the successes as they happened. That's true. I, I think that's just, that might still be true. <laughs> so because there's, there's that, uh, that fire in your belly is a different fire. Like when you're in survival mode, meaning yes. you eat what you kill, or you know, I, that my business life was literally full commission, you know, for many many years. Like if you know, if we didn't make sales or my team didn't do well, and then uh, so it changes from the fire in your belly to do something that really fulfills you. Yeah. So that would be you know the big yeah. change too. Mm -hmm. now, do you have a lot of people that have that though? They're really successful in their business but not in the relationship. Is that? I wonder. Is that common? Yeah, I think it's very common, yeah. actually, because, um, and I think, well, I think it's balancing out, but it used to be really more common for men, mm. and they couldn't come home and be present. They'd mm. just start giving orders, yeah, <laughs> just like they could at work, especially yeah. the highly successful men. Yeah. But the finding the um, finding the satisfaction, the internal satisfaction, is, and being able to just enjoy that, mm -hmm. and being in the process of it, and enjoying the process. I think some people still struggle with that, yeah. Because it's all about the success and what can, how productive can I be? Yeah, I, and and that's okay to a degree, right? Unless it defines you. Oh, that's the difference. If you're mm. if you're defined by what you produce and then aren't producing anything, who are you? Mm. I think that's a, a big issue. Like uh, when people have lived that way in a successful business world, then they retire. Mm. They go. Now yeah. what? And that's why some people don't retire, because they have no clue who they are. They're so defined by the work they do. Interesting. Yeah. So we do a lot of work in our organization around generational differences mm -hmm. and the different generations that, you know, like mm -hmm. the baby boomers were, you know, defined by, you know, their work and, mm -hmm. and Gen Xers and how that uh, this generation, the millennials or the pluralist, that's going to be different, like, because they're mm -hmm. going to be defined more by service to other people like and we don't know exactly how that's going to play out but sure. but most organizations have figured out if you want to keep somebody in your organization you have to be helping society in some way mm -hmm. and so it's that contribution mm -hmm. that they value isn't that interesting it is interesting and when the the uh the world war ii era people were work 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 mm -hmm. it was also when the society was more role focused women at home uh, typically, yeah. you know, men in the workplace. And so the roles were more defined. Right. And so it, it was a challenge in a whole different way. Yeah. And now it's more fluid and, and more accepted to be yeah. fluid. I mean, there, women have always worked outside the home, of right. course. But it was still, the culture was that women were more at home. Mm -hmm. And they did the housework and the cooking. And, and part of the shift has been for guys to learn how to do some of those household tasks. Yeah. Most of them don't like that. <laughs> yeah, well, but even <clears throat> even with the younger ones, if you've been raised by guys, yeah. dads, who, who didn't do those things, then you haven't had modeling to do that. And so in some younger couples, there's some real pushback because the women are working full-time also, sure. and then they have kids, and they want help, sure. and they deserve the help. And how do we find that balance? Because yeah. that's a real rub in some young people's relationships. Do you think that that was one of the issues uh, seeing women in leadership roles is that for uh, for so long that just reminded you of your mother like that it felt it didn't you didn't view somebody in in the serious business way that you would I mean is, is there I've never thought about that before you think there's well I don't know that? if they're seen as their mother but um, I've, I just recently read some research that 
even with uh, women in the same um, level of management, mm -hmm. say, in meetings, uh, women are heard. They speak less because they're cut off more. Mm -hmm. It's the mansplain thing sure. that comes in. Sure. And so that's still happening. Yeah. But I think it's more out of, I would suggest that, I don't know the research to base on my idea on that, but I think it's more out of patriarchy. Mm. You know, men are still more important than women. Their opinions are heard more. Uh, men get promoted more quickly than women, typically. Sure. Yeah, all, um, yeah, all that's And true. so we, we have these implicit biases that mm -hmm. are still there on lots of levels. There's certainly, we always think of racism, but there's implicit biases toward women still, and obviously people of color or uh, class biases. Sure. So we, we all have biases in some way. Well, you know, I was in my last organization, <clears throat> I was promoted to be a vice president, and I was the only female at the table. And I can remember going in to my first few meetings or being on the first few calls. And my, my, my real goal was to not say anything stupid. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact, there's not a, a man that was promoted into that role walking in there thinking that, right? And that's on me and all the things that contribute to that. Mm -hmm. But I remember after six months of trying to not, you know, have too big of a voice, uh, and Wally Schmader, my business partner said, you know, wow, what happened to you? Like we promoted you because we thought you were gonna be able to you know, represent the field differently and have a bigger voice and you, you know, you're not really even showing up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So what was so cool for me in that is that the company I was in expected me to be an equal. Well, and he said that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And is, you got that feedback. Yeah. Whereas lots of times people don't. Yeah. Well, we're not going to solve that today, right? Because that's, <laughs> that's a Yeah, huge, it's a huge thing. Yeah. But I, th I think it's a useful thing to hold awareness of. Right. Still to come on Real Life Leadership with Tracy Spears. Well, I'm that person that is probably too vocal about what I want and don't <laughs> want. Like, I wanna, I'll throw my own birthday party. I'll, you know, like, I'll mm -hmm. do all those. Not because I don't, you know, I, I enjoy it, first of all. Like, sure. I, you are the you, consummate extrovert. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I am. Like, if you forget my birthday, it's my fault. I should have told you. Like, I have, you know, yeah. some people go, yeah. they try to skate by. I have a friend whose birthday's coming up. And uh, somebody said, you know, don't be, bring presents. And I'm like, I went to Rosemary and I go, never tell people to don't bring to not bring <laughs> Hi, my name is Tracy Spears. I'm the co-founder of the Exceptional Leaders Lab, along with my business partner, Wally Schmader. We've put together an online leadership series that I think you're going to find really valuable. The content is taken from our best-selling books, What Exceptional Leaders Know and The Exceptional Leaders Playbook. Our goal in the online course is that you can not only watch it, learn a little bit of information, but to be able to take that information and go immediately use it in your organization. We're going to cover all kinds of different tactics, personal development tactics, leadership tactics, things we think are going to be a, a great resource for you. We're going to talk about the six crucial steps to developing your personal brand. Everything affects your personal brand. It's the, the combination of all of these things and they create that brand. I think Jeff Bezos says it best. He says that brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Makes you want to never leave the room, right? You don't get to choose whether you have a personal brand or not. You have one, like Tracy said, so you just get to choose what it is. And all of that inf information is trying to get to one thing, and that is that you're born in a, with a particular part of your brain that's more developed. 
in that development, it creates this lens that you view the world. And in viewing the world through that particular lens, it creates different assumptions through the lens. Goal setting for leaders. So taking care of your most valuable asset. Organizing your personal board of directors. This next section is what Brussels sprouts and leadership have in common. Well, they talk about how you can find a leader anywhere in an organization, and it's true. And the reason it's true is because leadership is influence, and you can influence from anywhere, you, wherever you are in the org chart. So I think this proves that out, that old saying, uh, you don't have to be have the big business card or the big corner office to be an influencer, that's for sure. Managing up. Making meetings work. The five conversations that leaders have to get right. Our next section is the power of recognition. We're gonna talk about all the things we can do as leaders to leverage recognition to drive performance with our team. Accountability and engagement. Let's keep the conversation going about diversity and engagement in the workplace. As a middle-aged, heterosexual white guy, I'm, <laughs> an, I'm an expert at this. And if there's anything you need to know about diversity and inclusion, I'm probably the guy to go to. Progressive companies saying this is the right thing to do. You know, diversity, inclusion is something we need to do because we want to, we're good people and we want to do good things. That this is flipped now, and it's just been the last three years, all of the data is piling up to make the case that if you want to perform, if you want to compete, you better get diverse because you're selling to a diverse audience. You can't be one thing and sell to another, right? So if you want to, if you want to sell to everybody, if you want to sell a lot, if you want to provide a lot of service, you better get diverse, you better get inclusive. Now that you've seen a little bit about the course, hopefully you're super excited to get started. All you need to do is go to exceptionalleaderslab.com, click on the box that says online course, and sign up today. I think the great thing that's come out of the, you know, all of the movements that are going on and, you know, uh, that and that we're seeing ordinary, ordinarily quiet people become advocates. Mm -hmm. So that's been exciting. Well, and everybody, men and women, have to find their voice. And women especially have lost their voice for a long time. And that's, that excites me more than anything, to yeah. see a woman find her voice yeah. when, when she hasn't known that she even had one. Yeah. And so... We, um, you know, I can speak to patriarchy, but women also did that to ourselves by not speaking up. Right. And so that I recently read a phrase that said, women freed themselves from themselves. Mm -hmm. True. You know, yeah. And how we put limits on ourselves instead of just stepping out and taking the risk. Well, I'm going to say something controversial. I've never said it out loud. But when this thing happened in the movies recently and Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams and he gets a million dollars and she doesn't, do you know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. in that, that movie? My first thought was, he asked for it and she didn't, right? Like, cause I get it and I understand the end result was tragic and she should have been offered the same thing. I understand that. But my guess is that that sense of self, he just said, no, I'm not going to do it without that. Mm -hmm. And when she didn't, and I think that happens, that people just uh -huh. take advantage of people not finding their voice or having their voice. So then you look at that and go, well, who's at fault there? Lots of people for sure. Mm -hmm. But I felt like that was a great example. That was kind of a microcosm of women in general. We just mm -hmm. don't demand the same in those mm -hmm. similar situations. So. And, and maybe there's precedent that if you asked for it, you didn't get it. Yeah. And so you stopped asking. Yeah. Um, but we want to be more collaborative. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, women, I don't want to generalize. General, but, but generally women are more collaborative. That's why women have uh, circles of friends around them differently than most men. Right. And uh, I, uh, I read all this stuff all the time. And I love the phrases that seem to capture an idea. And one of the things I read said, men, women have friends, men have buddies. Hmm. 
you know, like golfing buddies sure. or whatever, where women talk about everything. Yeah. The guys go play golf. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's a stereotype, of course. It's not everybody, but yeah. it's a fascinating difference. And, and women can use both right and left brain simultaneously, and men don't do that naturally. They have to learn how to do that, where it just comes naturally to women. Interesting. More typically. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I think it's fascinating that the, you know, this whole thing, you know, equal pay and all that, that we're still having the conversation, right? Well, yeah. And that it's not already a done deal. Right. It is pretty strange to me that it isn't a done deal um, because it makes so much sense. Part of it is not asking. Mm -hmm. Part of it is not knowing you can ask. Right. Because you've got to know you can ask before you ask. Mm -hmm. And then the cultural expectations, even, like, again, in the household, the women still have what they reference as the second shift. Mm -hmm. They have to go home and clean the house and take care of the kids and cook the meals and yeah. do the laundry. Whereas guys come home and maybe cut the grass or something. But it's not as, you know, and there's funny stories that you'll read, like, the guy says, he gets up and says, well, I'm off to bed. And he gets up from his chair and goes to bed. Yeah. And a woman gets up and says, well, I'm going to go to bed now. And then she makes the coffee and puts out food for lunches in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> does all those <laughs> tasks before they yeah. go to bed. Yeah. And that's uh, those are all stereotypical stories, of course. But there's grains of truth in that or yeah. we wouldn't see that. Yeah. And then it connects, in my mind, always to the codependency thing. Mm. How you don't ask, and so your eyes out of balance. You're always doing too much more. <clears throat> I had a boss one time uh, who uh, we were getting ready to hire somebody new as a clinician at a hospital, and and I had interviewed this person also, and I said, well, this person is at least not codependent. And he says, well, we like him to be a little bit codependent because <laughs> then we get more work out of him. <laughs> totally. Now I would never have said that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I thought I would have thought it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I get I get the point though. Yeah. Mm, they so, relied on it. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's one of the ways that people find themselves overworked, too, mm -hmm. in different jobs, because they don't know it's okay to say no. So we do a lot of work with women in leadership roles, as you know, and one of the things that usually is an aha is when we start talking about the things that, you, that people expect of you, they didn't expect when you first took the job on, but mm -hmm. you going above and beyond and creating that connection and trying to, you know, over-function in a role yeah. creates this unrealistic mm -hmm. expectation, or an expectation that can't be sustained mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the you, the, you know, in that role, someone goes, all right, I, you know, I've had it. I'm not doing this anymore. And so the thing that's so funny, and this has actually happened to me recently, and I'll tell you that story, but uh, is that when it happens, nobody sees it coming. When the mm -hmm. person goes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm had just it, done. I'm out, yeah. Because uh, they don't know how to verbalize it as they're going along. Yeah. A lot of couples that'll come in in marital distress, or somebody in a marriage will file for a divorce, and the other person is flat out blindsided. Yeah. I didn't see that coming, even though their partner had been saying, I need more, I need this, I'm yeah. complaining about things for years. But they just, Sometimes people just don't take it seriously. Yeah. And it's, again, you have to have a voice yeah. to speak in such a way that you know you have been heard, yeah. that somebody really is taking you seriously. And if you don't really have your voice, you don't know how to uh, speak. And some people don't speak up because they're just flat out afraid to confront. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I think that's uh, gender specific. I think more women are afraid to be confrontational than men. Do you? Do you think it's equal? Well, I, uh, I think typically men will confront more because 
uh, people tend to think, at least in my experience in my practice, uh, people tend to think of confrontation as something where you have to be angry mm. or it's kind of fierce. Yeah. And, and so men are, have permission to be fierce or men have permission to be angry differently than women do. Okay. So uh, I think there's that. But I try to help people see that confrontation doesn't mean you have to be mad, mm -hmm. that you just have to confront what is. I'm noticing such and such. Could we talk about that? Yeah. You know, as a confrontation. Yeah. So, um, and it helps prevent some of the setups. But I think it's a useful thing, especially if you're in a leadership role, to notice when somebody starts over-functioning. Yeah. And say, you know, I'm noticing. Yeah. Because it's a confrontation, you know, that you're going to wear yourself out here. You're going to yeah. burn out. I'm, I have a client right now, and I'm about to go back in to work with their staff because what has happened, they have a really great, it's a nonprofit, they have a great leader in that um, kind of goes above and beyond, will do whatever needs to, done, to be done. Mm -hmm. And so the staff has done that to the point where they're operating out of their job description so much that now within their job description, there's holes in things that they're not doing because they're filling gaps in other places. Uh -huh. What should have happened is to create, you know, create that, as you said, the leader for leader to go, I appreciate you doing that, but, and redirect them back to the things that they need to get mm -hmm. done. Um, yeah. Because when you have a small organization, you have, you know, six or seven people doing that, that creates a bigger issue down the road, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so the leader, Absolutely. So the leader is, I think, as I listen to her talking, she's like, I'm so grateful my people will do whatever. And I'm like, oh, there's a downside coming to yeah. that, right? Sure. There's always a downside if we're starting, because you can't do everything. Yeah. And so something will always get left out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm that person that is probably too vocal about what I want and don't <laughs> want. Like, I wanna, I'll throw my own birthday party. I'll, you know, like, I'll mm -hmm. do all those. Not because I don't, you know, I, I enjoy it, first of all. Like, sure. I you are the you. consummate extrovert. <laughs> yeah, I am. Well, I am. Like, if you forget my birthday, it's my fault. I should have told you. Like, I have, you know, yeah. some people go, yeah. they try to skate by. I have a friend whose birthday's coming up, and uh, somebody said, you know, don't be, bring presents. And I'm like, I went to Rosemary, and I go, never tell people to don't bring to not bring <laughs> So I'm like, Amazon, what? Well, yeah. <clears throat> so, but I, I think stating your needs is a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. So... Yes. I assume that that's obnoxious at some point, but... Well, yeah, I mean, it could be, yeah. <laughs> and, and if, um, in a relationship, for example, yes, it's fine to, to state your needs and even be very vocal about it, like you just described. Mm -hmm. However, if you do that and never allows the other person to be creative right. and do something on your behalf, then they could start feeling left out, especially if they're not that huge introvert. That's so funny. I remember one time somebody saying, actually saying that to me, they said, in a, I was in a relationship, the problem with being with you is I don't know who I am. And I was like, you should figure that out. But now, looking back, what I know is I was just doing, I was trying to take care of everything and control mm -hmm. everything and micromanage everything and sure. didn't let that person be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, And you are a very strong person. And so you're going to have to be partnered with somebody who's strong. Mm -hmm. I am. And, and, uh, <laughs> I know you are. And, and strength shows up differently. Yes. Like Rosemary's got this very quiet strength, yes, but a will does. of iron. Right. She's and the strongest person I know. No question. Yeah. I mean, and you would never, you would because you're a therapist, but most people would never see that coming. Well, I know she stuck around with yeah. you, so she's got to be strong. 
well, because of the the because you're yeah. you're very forceful. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and, and I'm unfortunate. Like the first three three years, I, you know, I was gonna say three weeks or three months. No, I'd say the first three years. I came for many reasons to not <laughs> not stick around. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when I look back on that now, everything that happened. I was just scared. I was trying to figure it out. I want, wanted to make a good decision. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure, you know, like I'd never had anybody stay, right? Like I- Especially with such pushback. I know, mm -hmm. yeah. So the, you, you were always about the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not knowing it and yeah. it not being conscious, but I felt so, I always felt so unsafe in mm -hmm. a relationship that, um, you know, the minute somebody didn't pass the test, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Know, like There's a, uh, when you get, I mean, the language I would use that Rosemary was really good at giving grace. Mm, totally. And there's a, a story I read one time about, um, this person happened to be married to someone with a mental illness. Mm. And a very bad I'm not mind. drawing a straight line to that, no. just so you know. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole different thing. But it, it's a really good, uh, makes a similar point. And people would ask her, I mean, this, this guy would go off the rails and do mm. really awful stuff. And she stayed, and she stayed, and she stayed. And people asked her why. And she said, because I've chosen to love his core. Mm. Because when he was good, he was really wonderful. Wow. And so I th it was such a lesson for me that I've carried forward in my life sure. because Rosemary was choosing to love your core when yeah. you were at your worst. Yeah. And you did the same for her. Yeah. That's tr it's true because now it, the I don't think we could be where we are without all those trials and tribulations, mm -hmm. right? Like I, like I said, for the first time, I'm like, oh, I know if you know, I'm I'm not at risk here. I'm you safe. pushed each other for the beginning, and, and it was rocky, and then you settle in because, oh, we really are going to be here for each other. Yeah, and I think being married helps that happen too. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I was surprised. So you know, as you obviously know, hello. Yes when we got married, because you were there and performed it, and thank you, by the way. Sure enough, it's a and privilege. There, it was super ex important for me to have you do that. It was obviously very small uh, and only a few people there, but I don't, I couldn't have gotten married had I not walked through your doors. And so that mm. was why that was so important for me that that was a full circle moment for me to go. Everything that I've learned, it had learned when we were, you know, seeing each other back way back when um, prepared me for being able to, to make that commitment. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like people go, oh, getting married is not going to be any big deal. It's just a piece of paper. It was profoundly different. It changed mm -hmm. everything to the point where I look back at that time and mm -hmm. when we went through that uh, as something I covered and just, you know, it was just, it, it really was a game changer, mm -hmm. you know. So it's gay marriage was, yeah, that was... Mm -hmm. A lot of gay people haven't had that experience. Yeah, yet. Yet. And a lot of them are doing it. But uh -huh. this is Carly, so she's decided to wake up. Yeah, Carly's delightful. She's yeah. was another uh, res another person that got rescued. I would also um, comment to you that you know you give me a lot of credit for what you learned from me, but nothing that comes out of my mouth has any usefulness to it if you don't take it in and go out and use it. Mm. And you did the work. You're the one who stayed faithful to that process. And even in your business, it's the same thing. If you hadn't done the work, if you hadn't stayed faithful to learning and going forward, nothing would have happened. Yeah. Well, I, I can see why people don't do it. 
let me tell you, I, you know, there were many, <laughs> I left your office many times going, well, that's the last time I'll ever uh -huh. see her. Yeah, I know, I got fired a couple times. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, in that, and I'll tell you, when you say something that I didn't want to hear when you would say something, and I'd be like, well, that's just the dumbest thing ever, and then like, weirdly, and you know this happens within a couple of days, it would be shown to me so obvious, <laughs> right? That what you were saying was was the mm -hmm. truth, and so uh, that was always you know frustrating. It, yeah, but at the same time that that's true, yeah, uh, you were remaining receptive, or you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, because you so wanted to be someplace else yes. internally, yes, and to be different and and not be defined by how you were raised or your history in that regard. Yeah, for sure. You know, you were just hungry, and so you chose to do the work and so give yourself credit for well, that i i thank you and i i do think that when you just get so and i asked you what gets people to therapy and you said pain when you get to the point where and i can remember you know rolling around the floor like i assume you know people do when they get at their worst like so desperate to do anything differently and so mm -hmm. when you at least have some structure to go do something differently uh, you know I think that's what therapy gives people is that opportunity to uh, see it differently I heard somebody one time say you know what makes a great therapist is you're laughing at this uh, I just have to have a different point of view than you do when you walk in because whatever got you here isn't working <laughs> well the definition of insanity doing yeah. the same things over and over for and sure. expecting different results for sure for sure <laughs> and so you need to learn a couple new skills yeah. to be able to shift and go in a different direction yeah well I, all of my skills around that it's been so cool that it's transferred in all you know even friendships and mm -hmm. you know it's 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 been a it made a huge difference for me. It's a game changer it in is. friendships too, isn't it, it? It totally is, yeah. Well, I appreciate this conversation and uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, it was great fun. Next time on Real Life Leadership with Tracy Spears. I was uh, reaching out to Kevin to see if he would be, you know, one of my uh, guests on a podcast. And he said, what will we talk about? And I said, oh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's me and you. We'll figure it out. And so he sent me, this is the list that he sent me of potential topics for us to talk about. That time, Jeff, Bobby, and I uh, almost killed Mrs. Galvin. Yes. The Skitter Monster. The time I almost killed my dad in Seminole and me. Getting lost in eastern Tennessee. Flying a plane backwards. Yes. Landing a plane sideways. Yes. I'm thinking I don't want to fly with you, but that's all. Yes. Rosemary Rounds and Monkey Butt Brown. Yes. Lying to buyers. Delivering drugs. However, get it however you want. Knocking people off the lunch counter. Cameron in the mail. The Biddy's New Year's Eve house guest. Hiding in the woods from kidnappers. Escaping Johnson City, Tennessee. The disappearance of Possum Holler. Yes. Hi, this is Tracy. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. To find out more about our books, online courses, and other resource materials, check us out at tracyspears.com.